0: that, that is, that's a place of opening the heart and being with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's really interesting how I, all these threads, uh, the wholesome factors of mind, I find them really increasingly to come together in a moment of meeting with experiences. There's, there's ways in which I think we have ideas around what it ought to look like. And so sometimes I feel like I shouldn't have A uncompassionate response to someone. So then I try and add compassion. In that kind of case, it's almost more compassion for me to recognize how I'm feeling, getting close to that feeling, and in not fighting that, there's something else that seems to open in response that allows really a a bigger understanding in terms of how this particular dynamic is playing out. If I try and just rush in there with an idea of I ought to be compassionate. It feels like I'm missing something that would actually connect me a little bit more to you know, so some pain that I'm holding on to or some something that's underlying the actual you know experience in that moment and and yet that's ex- incredibly compassionate to open to that level also it may not look it initially because you know we're not throwing out compassion outwardly, but I think to get there sometimes there is that movement that allows truly what we're feeling. And I think this is where the practice becomes really alive, is that ability to be with our experience as it's revealing itself. And it's very raw sometimes, and a lot of stuff can kind of come forward because we're no longer kind of meeting the experience with an idea of how it ought to look, that it ought to be a good experience, or I'm going to get it right. It's like, what is it like when I don't get it right? And then, and we will just watch and and be with that. Um, Yeah, so the the practice I have always found filled with with compassionate activity.
1: Um. Compassion and dukkha are intimately connected. The, um, the quality of the open heart, which, as Alexa said, you know, the, the, the wise attitude, the heart, the mind, without uh, those filters of greed, aversion, or delusion, that is an open heart. And the natural response of that open heart, when it experiences suffering, the natural response of that open heart is compassion. Um, the natural response of that open heart when it meets beauty, when it meets um, uh, someone who's um, experiencing um, um, joy and uh, success, accomplishment in their lives is to resonate with joy And the, uh, you know, the natural response of just connection has that flavor of metta. So the, the, the practice of, the wisdom practice of looking at the attitude and beginning to uncover and like let those filters be takes us towards that, those beautiful states of mind, takes us towards compassion. And I'll say in my own experience, um, you know we can actually miss those qualities if we are if we are kind of looking at our experience from a perspective of wisdom or equanimity it's almost like we might miss these other qualities that are actually being cultivated and in my own practice i've seen it's helpful sometimes to um It's kind of to see what else is there, you know. So, you know, we are encouraging you to check the attitude, which is a way to open up to what's there. Um, So for an example, I'll I'll make this very concrete. Um, In my early um, days of being a teacher and meeting one-on-one with people, I would often get the feedback that they could feel my compassion and I would think that's interesting that's not my experience I feel very present I feel very equanimous I am able to be with them completely without reactivity but I don't feel what I would call compassion and so I was kind of a koan for me for a while and, you know, I talked to a couple other of my colleagues about it, some of the other teachers about it. And, and some people said, it's there. Uh, okay, you know. But one teacher actually pointed me to a key piece in this. And this is what a, a piece that can be um, uh, helpful, I think, in our practice to open us to this. He said, He said, you're focusing on emptiness. Your attention is on... the uh, empty nature of experience he said turn to the relationship and I um, just in the next interaction I had while sitting with this person and having a conversation I felt very equanimous very balanced didn't particularly feel a lot of emotional you know stuff going and I remembered turn to the relationship like little bit of wisdom that teacher had planted in my mind, turned to the relationship it happened in that moment. I turned to the connection there it was. it had been there, but it hadn't been conscious, so sometimes in this kind of practice, our emphasis is more seems to be more on somehow this um the wisdom door or seeing things in a certain way. And, and maybe if we look at the relationship, it's like we're looking at a, an intimacy instead of a clinical looking at observing. Some of the other aspects of wise view of, of that wise attitude the love the compassion the the interest the the juiciness of that attitude may become more available and so um uh, what i'd suggest in your exploration is see if it's there first before you do something to bring it in it might already be there yeah i mean it it it, it may well be you know simply a matter of kind of shifting the almost the 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 direction you're looking at experience.
2: constant doubt about I'm really being aware how continuous is it and kind of more of a jangliness. So I'm afraid of clinging to the use of a primary object, but I'd like to, you know, not jettison it. So it really is just a question about
1: the art. Well, one way the thing that pops into my mind to to explore for you is and this was a way I I um first found myself able to open, this was before I met Tejaniya, but, you know, was l- working with open awareness practice, having come out of um, Mahasi practice. And um, they told me at first to let go of the primary object, and that was chaotic. And so what I found kind of naturally a doing for me is like, I hung out with the ob- the primary object but it wasn't an exclusive focus. So it's like it's just like it was it was like my tether. It's like you know holding on to the to the to the string of a balloon or something to just kind of keep touch. But it was like it wasn't it wasn't that it had to be the only thing. It's like oh yeah, there's the breath. Okay, I'm aware. Oh and there's sound and there's body sensation and the breath and there's a thought and the breath. And so there's kind of a a staying in touch with that primary object, but not in an exclusive way. It more actually, in a way, allowed the, um, allowed the uh, awareness. I mean, when we become aware, if we're not focused like, you know, pointing at something, not trying to exclude other things, when we become aware of something, we naturally become aware of many things. And so, you know, you could play with it from that perspective. And then at some point, I found myself able to let go of the balloon, you know. And it's like phew, just seeing the, the, the flowing of what was happening. And so, you know, there are different ways for people to kind of uh, come into this terrain of the uh, undirected attention, the receptive awareness. And you know, different strategies can help. You want to add anything? There's
0: just so um, many different ways to do it. Yeah. So. I think the way Sadal, I I, you know, coach both Andre and I, um, it's it's a it's he's non he's not really formulaic like where there's an exact formula, um, and so it's it's a very intuitive way of working and really listening to your own practice, seeing how things are unfolding. So you're not just applying some technique and constantly laying that on top of your own mind, which I loved. It meant that there was much more engagement. And he, he, you know, he would describe the practice as one that continues to mature and change so that when you practice a you know, certain number of years, it shouldn't look as if you're still always going back to year one. How does the practice look for you in terms of your use of your mind and and your wisdom so that it has this nice development? The factors are are growing, wisdom factors growing. And so there's a sense of evolution of the practice as we keep going. But if we always, you know, keep just applying the technique that we've started with, let's say, as a formula, we don't get to really explore what does that feel like? And just hearing how now when you allow yourself to know the primary object, just the context feels a little bit different than if you had only let yourself know the primary object is only that, but now there's a a something's still a little bit different. You see that, and then you the mind is on the primary object and that flavor feels it's now in a different, you know, mind stream. There's a little bit different experience there. And just noticing that, you see how that, that evolves. Um yeah, and I think, uh, I think a lot of people can hear that the primary object is wrong when these uh, you know, offerings are initially given and, and that's not at all the intention. I think encouraging ourselves to know what the mind naturally knows is that sense of ease and from that place begin to see what else, what else can the awareness know rather than trying to force the mind to, to not take the primary object. And I had to play with that a lot because I had a very strong habit of taking certain, you know, his body sensations. So I had very strong habit of doing that. And anytime I tried to be mindful, the the mind would go straight into that. And so I just, okay, let the mind do that. And then naturally, can the mind know some something else in addition, just inviting more experiences in. Yeah.
1: I liked what you said. Uh, uh, I liked what you said about um, the evolution of the practice and the... You know that it's not a cookie cutter formula. It's not mm-hmm. a you know, here's what you do, here's how you here's what you do then and you get to here and you do that. It really is a I mean, it's a practice that we essentially each have to tailor for our own minds. <laughs> and so it's uh, um it's it's about looking at our minds and and taking responsibility for our own practice. Um, and sometimes we can run up against a a deep wish for somebody just tell me what to do. You know, I, 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 I really, you know, I don't want to be responsible. <laughs> 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 and yet that, then that is also something to to look at. So, it is it it, it it does ask us to use discernment over and over again about the practice itself. We use the you know w- the 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 exploration of the attitude of mind begins to explore how we're practicing as well what kind of attitudes are we bringing to the meditation too so you'd
0: yeah, often have to ask side uh, um so sh- sh- what which object do i watch now and 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 something else would start to emerge it's like should i watch that one should i be with that object is that the right one to be with now and you know, it's as if, like, things in my mind out of the force were starting to come forward. And I was like, is that, should I, should I look at that one? And <laughs> <laughs> I just get tired of my, like, asking which objects. And say, just wait. Just see what, you know, what naturally <laughs> comes. And slowly you'll know intuitively, you know, how, you're, how, how to relate to it. And it's like your wisdom starts to know, okay, this is the right way of, of being with this moment. Or, or where to look and how to, how to rest in the moment. Um, Yeah, yeah. So much.
1: So the question is around um, finding a place in the practice where the mind is at ease with what's unfolding and essentially what's next, it sounds like. (laughs) Do you just stay with with that? Um, One... um, You can just stay with that and check your attitude. It's always important to check the attitude. Um, Sometimes I've seen, you know, as as I said early on, you know, when the practice feels like it's going really well, check the attitude. I was just experiencing this the other day. It's like the mind was pretty at ease. You know, things were going along very well, and there was actually just, you know, when it gets at ease like that, sometimes a little bit of complacency can settle in. It's like, yeah, things are fine. I can sit here a long time. I can sit here. And then there was this little bit in my mind that said, but you're not free. You know, there's something here. There's still some clinging here. And so even when we're at ease, you know, I, I, there's, it seems like there's a period of time where the mind kind of finds its way to that period of ease. And then you check the attitude. You may not see much other than just that ease. But we still, we know we're not free yet. You know, we know we're not fully enlightened. There's still got to be delusion in the mind. So we know that, but we can't see it. And so it's like we have to be patient there. It's like, hang out in that space where, yes, there is ease in seeing the objects. Check the attitude from time to time. I was on retreat at Shui Yumin, and uh, in a place where it was very easeful, very peaceful. The mind felt very pure, very delightful state of mind. And um, uh, I checked the attitude and the, there was this very quiet little effort going to make that state continue, trying to make it continue. And when that was seen, it fell away. When that fell away, there was, oh no, <laughs> it's not going to continue. And I was like, Fear that it wasn't going to continue. And it's like, wow, I had no idea that that was in there, in the mix, with that really, really pure state of mind. And so, you know, checking the attitude, you know, we may not see anything, like I said, you know, the, the, especially the f- when we first start to land in some of those places. It's like, you know, a layer of habitual, you know, reactivity has fallen off, and it's like we land in this layer, and it's like, wow, things feel pretty good. And we, we, we hang out in that space for a while. And over time, we begin to see the subtler level of agitation in that space. We, it's like we have to be patient for that To begin to reveal itself. And checking the attitude, just being in that space, um, may begin to open to the place where, yes, we do start to see that. And checking the attitude can help us to uncover some subtle kinds of clinging. The other instruction Sayadaw has offered for that kind of space is. to, so that there's it, there doesn't seem to be clinging happening in that moment or you know it seems like there's ease there he suggests dropping in the question something like what is being understood What is what is the wisdom that's here that's allowing this to happen so that's a little bit of investigation of that state of ease itself so those are the the pieces that I can think of around that. Any? That's good. What time is it? We have time maybe for one more. There's another one.
0: Well, I was going to say, th- mm-hmm. you know, it's a long. It's it's a long practice, and <laughs> sometimes it feels like you know. And now what? And when it's, it can feel like, oh, I'm done, at certain moments, if that ever feels like it's like, oh, things are really easy. Um, sometimes I Saad would, would just say, well, just wait, you know. <laughs> the, the defilements will come find you if you're not, you know, looking out for them. Um, you know, and sort of look at the nature of the mind. It's this stream, right? There's, there's mind moments, as the Buddha describes it, trillions of mind moments. and. So it's mind knowing experience and our life is composed, has been composed of all these mind moments and will be composed of countless mind moments, depending on how long our life is. And so the practice is just ongoing and depending on the factors that are arising, the quality of our wisdom, we will respond according to that. And just have increasing confidence that both trusting the factors are in the mind, showing up, not coming to conclusions, just sort of staying open to the ongoing experiences. And so there's no reason necessarily to ever come to say, okay, so everything's calm. Okay, just noticing everything's calm. Maybe the mind now starts wondering. So you're just constantly recognizing what is happening in, you know, in, in your experience. And, you know, just there's there's a deeper and deeper confidence that I always appreciate being in the Dharma, being awake, being aware, more than being unconscious. I haven't found any moments that I appreciated more because my m- mindfulness was weak, or the wisdom was weak, or, you know, always, it's always beneficial, right, view, checking the attitude, and that just grows, that's kind of strength and confidence, um, so even when things are kind of flowing, it's like knowing, okay, there's probably some, some hook in there and and it becomes fun because it's less personal. I can look for where the, the ego is arising and whatever, whatever comes up. It's like, oh, I want to see it now. I want to see you know, how, the, how the Four Noble Truths are playing out. So you know, dukkha is such an extraordinary truth because it's just the place of pointing to where we can gain a little bit more freedom.
1: I thought I would just... Something you said made me think this, and it's not in direct response to the question, but the Buddha said, um freedom is the absence of greed, the absence of aversion, the absence of delusion. It's not about getting anything. It is completely... It's the it's the release from f- greed, the release from aversion, the release from delusion where freedom is. It's it's not a state. It's not a thing. And this practice points directly at how is greed operating in the mind? How is aversion operating in the mind? How is delusion operating in the mind? And recognizing that the mind begins to let go of it. This practice points right at the heart of what the Buddha taught, the freedom that comes from absence of greed, absence of aversion, absence of delusion, and we get a little taste of that in seeing the mind not cling. And we do know, probably, that there is still some delusion present. At least I know there's still delusion present. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Probably should stop. That's five. Yeah, we need to let, let Nancy. You ready? Okay, we could do one more. <laughs> one more, if there's one more. Yeah.
2: Show that I can do it, <laughs> and I'm noticing that it's things—it's like objects aren't moving as quickly. It naturally feels like the mind is starting to kind of—I don't know—congeal con- con- or something. Anyway, um, how important this causes a lot of doubt in my mind about um, how important is my ability to do one pointedness? Um, is whole whole body breathing then kind of the way I can be doing? still very open awareness.
0: So um I'm just wondering if uh, how, how important is one point in that Do you want to start? Uh I'll st- I'll start. But um sounds like th- things are going really well actually. Um did anyone hear the question the uh s- little the question uh was She loves this practice partly because she feels like a failure in the other style of practice of trying to do one-pointedness. And yet now when the mind is getting some continuity going and the awareness is stronger, now there seems to be an ability to actually land on one object and the one-pointedness is coming. And so wanting to test that out and see whether or not she can do it. Is that going to...? And the fear is what is the fear exactly? Fear, because I, I feel like I won't be able to do it. Do the, it. the one pointedness. Yeah. yeah. So I think I've explored similar terrain. I you know, Andre and I've talked about this where in fact concentration comes from a mind that is gaining stability and continuity of awareness. And when the defilements get weaker, the mind has a capacity to be with things. And without ever being taught or encouraged how to do concentration, through seeing the reactivity in my mind, being with it, opening to it, the mind had capacities to get very concentrated. And nothing wrong with that, really nothing wrong to sometimes, if the mind is, is in that place for me, when the mind is, is stable, and can connect and stay one pointed, and that's what it's inclined to do in that moment, that's okay, you can explore that terrain. Um, I mean, concentration as a factor is, you know, is one of the five spiritual faculties in this sort of style, the stability of mind. Ajahn Sumedho, you know, he uses the language of one pointedness. He says oftentimes people's interpretation of one pointedness is, you know, to focus in and narrow. And he talks about consciousness being the point that includes everything, right? That awareness or consciousness, in his language, is the point that includes, right? It's this one point or the point, the moment, this moment contains all experience. And when that's very steady, there's a very powerful sense of concentration, but it's it's inclusive. It's not directed. And so... What do I say about that? Um, I mean it sounds like you're exploring both a little bit. That sense is a full body breathing awareness still seems to be open to experiences. Um, and as the mind's continuity gets stronger, it can stay with an experience. I, I often asked off around concentration. And when he had some confidence that I could watch my mind and watch my... Um, desires to get something and attain something he'd say sure explore see see what happens just because he's he's more interested in the learning process than some final result and so he wanted me to explore and see how I'd get caught on concentration or the wanting of it and um, just seeing that those qualities in the mind and that's all that my mind's not it's not coming up with too much
1: more but I'll let Andrea so the, one of the pieces I'd encourage you to look at is The Fear, both the, you know, the um the um that sense of wanting to test, you know, uh I mean it sounds like in some ways what's happening I'd tell me uh, this is what I'm hearing you didn't quite say it this way but this is what I'm hearing is that actually with the open awareness practice the mind is actually naturally getting concentrated and at some point in that the mind goes oh there's concentration maybe I can do it and so it's kind of like rather than allowing it to just naturally do its thing it's like the 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 self jumps on the bandwagon <laughs> and tries to you know, make it happen, and um, and that's where the self judgment is coming in. That's where the fear is coming in. So watch that. Watch the whole process. You know, it's like it, where does that fear come from? You know, it's it's uh, it's an idea in the mind. So you know, ex- just explore the whole thing. You know, as, as Alexis said, you know that that is the practice to just watch what the mind is doing. What's happening for you is that the mind is starting to get concentrated and this sense of uh, wanting to test is coming in. That's what's arising. Uh, You neither have to buy into the testing nor try to stop the testing. So that's an interesting kind of middle ground. You know, it's like, you know, I so often think we got this, we've got this This idea when our mind does something, it's either, well, I either have to go with it or I have to stop it. And it's the middle way. (laughs) Can you know it? Can you know what's happening? The knowing of it doesn't have to buy into it and doesn't have to stop it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like actually a pretty fruitful place to explore. And oh, the p- last part of your question: How is Im- how important is one, point one pointed concentration? Um. In terms of the entire trajectory of the practice. to full liberation, perhaps one-pointed concentration comes into play in there. Um, I certainly have found a lot of learning happening in practicing one-pointed concentration after the mind got really balanced, you know, not trying to do it, but more as Alexis describes it, more unfolds. Um, and there's a lot of learning and a lot of letting go that has to happen in order for the mind to go to that one pointed concentration. So there's some, some learning that happens in the process of doing that. And whether it's necessary or not, I don't know. Um, for some minds it may be, For some minds it may not be, Um, but I do know that there is a tremendous amount of freedom available through the moment-to-moment concentration without going to the one-pointed concentration. A tremendous amount of freedom is available there. Whether full liberation, Final nibbana, that full freedom, requires that capacity. The suttas say it requires jhana. And there's so much difference in how jhana is described. I wouldn't even say necessarily jhana means one pointed concentration. So uh, it, it's. I found personally, at a certain point in my practice, one-pointed concentration was a skill that was really helpful to explore. Before the mind was at ease and balanced around the desire to create it, it was not useful. So we really do have to take a long, broad approach to the practice. You know, the, um, If we have the idea, oh, one-pointed concentration is necessary, that's what I need to do, that very attitude is going to be just wreak havoc havoc with the mind, so um you know, I've kind of touched into it and not for the last period of my practice i've I've explored um kind of this blending of of um this m- mindfulness of mind and then in that really balanced place of the mind being with with um the wise attitude inclining the mind towards an object and exploring the one-pointed concentration i spent several years on my retreats primarily doing one-pointed concentration practice in the last 5 years or so and now the way I, the way i went on my last retreat was well maybe i'll go there but i'm going to see what happens i'm just going to start with open awareness and see what happens and and the uh, the open awareness was what was deepening so much i never Never went to one pointed concentration. So really, it is about that we, we mentioned earlier about finding our own, you know, using our wisdom about what is right for us in this moment. What is the right, you know, what is the what is the pr- what is the exploration that leads to freedom in this moment, and cultivating that as opposed to having some idea. I need to get that. What is it that will free us here and now? And that, that, for me, that has been an interesting rhythm of going in and out of various practices and tools. And so when I began to trust that in myself, I began to trust my own rhythms and my own in, you know, intuition and to really trust the discernment that was, that was operating. Boy, practice got a lot easier rather than having to lay some other idea of what I should do. It's like, the suttas say, jhana, I gotta do jhana. It's like, just, um... It's like practice can be very responsive to where you are, and trusting that, trusting that. Shall we stop, or do you want to say some more? Mm -hmm.
0: It just reminds me of... um, thinking about the causes and the effects. And so often we, uh, the tendency of the mind is to want, and so something like one-pointedness is this, it's so enticing because it has this power to it or something. It's like, I want that. And I think just like a, a lot of other part, pieces of the path can feel like this result, wanting the result. and unlike Sayadaw would often talk about the causes and the conditions and the effects and that we can take care of this moment what's arising in the mind you know so the fear that comes up and um, the wanting and so that's the place that we look and oftentimes when greed and aversion and these factors are coming up it's because we're looking beyond we're looking to some result that we want. And it's the result that is beyond our control. We don't, if the causes are there, the result arises. And so just keeping that in mind of where our domain is, is to actually be watching our experience in this moment. No idea where it's going to lead to. no idea. Maybe it's the brahma viharas, Maybe it's deep concentration. Maybe it's a deep release, seeing into the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, we just have no idea how the path unfolds. And sort of knowing, oh, that's what the Satipatthana is—is is the pastures of where the mindfulness belong, right? And they're all pointing to pieces of our experience that are here and now, right? And that's what we can—that's where we where we can take care of. Um, and it sort of, for me, it, it lets go of this whole burden of needing needing to even consider the results. Okay, the results will take care of themselves. I'll just keep. Being with how, how things are arising now, you know, my heart and mind, and being with that, and knowing, trusting that, well, uh, the results will come as they, as they naturally unfold. I can do what I can do in this moment.
1: So we should probably yeah, stop now. So let's just take a moment to remember, remember ourselves, remember experience. Just knowing the obvious, the here, the now. And knowing, seeing how as we land, perhaps with one or two experiences clearly, when we relax, so many things, so many other experiences can also be known.